Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hear my words and bear witness to my vow. Night gathers and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall take no wife, hold no lands, father no children. I shall wear no crowns and win no glory. I shall live and die at my post. I am the sword in the darkness. I am the watcher on the walls. I am the shield that guards the realm of men. I pledge my life and honor to the night's watch. For this night, and all the nights to come. Hello and welcome to Still Watching Game of Thrones. I am Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic Richard Lawson. We are back for one of our biggest episodes yet. We are counting down the top 15 episodes of Game of Thrones, when we were putting together this list, we knew there was no way we could do this without talking about Season 3, Episode 9, The Reigns of Castamere, written by Weiss and Benioff, directed by David Nutter. It's the episode of television that changed television forever. Uh, here's my 15-word recap. It goes like this. Edmund Tully gets married. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, uh, here we go. This is, this is the episode that a lot of people film their friends watching. This is, I think, the last moment that book readers really, really had a hand up over, um, well, no, I guess, I guess Jon Snow getting stabbed was, uh, was something. And the purple wedding. Okay, fine. Fair. We, we still have a lot of things. But this was the big about. one that everyone was just like, wait till you get to this. Yeah. You know, like, like this was, a, I, I mean, I was certainly that asshole who was just like, Jesse, wait, you know. You know. <laughs> exactly. And I think Weiss, and, I mean, Weiss and Benioff have said as well, um, like everyone who worked on Game of Thrones said like, we just wanted to see if we could get to the end of season three. And if we could pull that off, we felt like we could do anything. Um, and I really, I think you see a different kind of confidence from them starting in season four that they landed it. They did it. They stuck the landing. Um, 
This is, this is a tremendous episode of television. We are going to hand out a few awards before we talk about more of our thoughts on the episode. And then we've got an interview with the director of the episode, David Nutter. So stay tuned. But first, we are going to talk about, I'm going to say who my obvious MVP of this episode is. It's a crowded field, actually. Uh, but I'm going to give it to David Bradley, who plays, uh, who plays Lord Walder Frey. Um, because uh, there's a lot of great Starks and other people in this episode, but you don't, it doesn't all come together unless you've got the right person like sneering from that chair, which he does from like start to finish in this episode. So, uh, David Bradley himself, what do you say, Richard? I would go Michelle Fairley, uh, yeah. who plays Catelyn Stark. Um, it's yeah. her final, uh, performance, uh, on the show, uh, and she, you know, was a, this part was originally going to be played by Jennifer Ely, who filmed the pilot, and then Jennifer Ely, for personal reasons, decided not to do the project. Michelle Fairley, a, a Irish theater actress, came on board, uh, and just, I mean, she's great throughout her three-season run, but, like, just so fucking fantastic in this last horrific scene. Um, and I love that the, it, that it centers on her in it, you know. Um, I think that it could have easily focused more on Rob, but I think having it be Catelyn, um, who's already suffered a, a number of great tragedies, um, I, I think is really smart. And Michelle Fairley carries it perfectly. The just, like, I don't know if Michelle Fairley either had a cold that day or just her voice was, like, raw from doing so many takes or whatever. But, like, it's just, she's just so done by the end of this episode. Yeah. Uh, she just leaves everything, everything out there. It's just incredible. We've, we've given a lot of love to Richard Madden, uh, over these episode rewatches and like much love to him in this episode too. But yeah, this is a Michelle, Michelle Fairley showstopper. She's so good. Um, my sneaky sort of dumb MVP from this episode is Will Champion from Coldplay, who plays one of the members of the band up in the rafters, uh, in, in the hall here at the Twins. Um, and I just like the, these early days, uh, before Ed Sheeran cameos when it was just like, Will Champion is a huge fan of the show and just wants to like be a random drummer, uh, when the Reigns of Castamere start playing. So there you go, Will Champion from Coldplay. Who's your sneaky MVP? Um, I don't know, like maybe Osha, um, who, you know, she's so sweet to Rick in, in, in this episode where, you know, because they have to make this really hard decision to separate the brothers, um, for, for Rick and safety. Uh, and I think that Osha plays such a crucial role in that. And, you know, I think that, that her role and that of the Dereeds, Jojen and, uh, his sister, Mira, Mira yeah. who, um, their roles in this, in this show kind of didn't quite take off the way that I'd hoped. Um, I think the reads are a little more interesting in the books, but, um, yeah, anyway, I, I think that like, we haven't done much talking about the brand storyline. So I just wanted to mention that. Yeah. Natalie Tenya, who plays Osha, um, that's two Harry Potter actors, by the way, David Bradley, Natalie Tenya, uh, Tonks and I forget his character. Filch, name. right? Filch. Yeah. Argus Filch. There you go. Um, are uh yeah she's great she's fantastic she's so good and the, and this is the episode where she's just like no i'm not going north of the wall and she gives a whole speech about like the whites and what happened to her like old lover and stuff like that and it's just it's really incredible so uh i i that's a that's a really good nomination all right, here's the part where I like spin out disastrously trying to perform a quote and then Richard comes through with his uh drama kid credentials. But here's my here's my best um Wilder Frey impression. 
I can always see what's going on beneath the dress. Cool. <laughs> uh, which is something he says to Talisa when he's like, I know you're pregnant. You can't hide it under a billowy dress. He's so disgusting. He also, like, in that same speech, he's like, I bet if you take that dress off, like, nothing moves even an inch. Like, he's just, he's disgusting and perfect. Uh, Richard, what's your, what's your quote from the episode? No more hodering. <laughs> It's just brand saying no more hoedering. A very good brand. Yeah. I loved it. That's um, cute. All right. And then um, we also want to give out a best dressed uh, award. I'm going to give this to Roos Bolton, who sensibly wore some chainmail underneath his wedding finery so that he could be ready for battle uh, at the Red Wedding. Who is your best dressed, Richard? I mean, that's a pretty good one. Um, I think that for, for going kind of... Um, just kind of like simple cash at a wedding. Talisa looks pretty good in her, you know, sort of gray, just sack dress. Um, <laughs> I love, I love a gray sack dress at a wedding. Well, like Talisa's trying so hard not to insult them. Like there's a part also where Rich, where, uh, Rob tries to kiss her and she's like, no, no, let's not like, let's just not insult them. So she's like trying right. to like show up as demure and like as possible and just sort of hang back, you know? Um, also, shout out to uh, Ed Muir's actual bride because she looks she she looks lovely. That Frey girl, uh, very very young though. Yeah, well that's true. That's gross. All right, uh, ship. Who am I shipping in this episode? Which two characters do I want to be together in a romantic fashion in this episode? Um, why not Dario and Jora? Like, let's just cut Daenerys out of this love triangle. Um, or maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm shipping a thruple, which is Dario, Jorah, and Grey Worm as they like work together in perfect harmony to, uh, take, take the city, uh, of Yunkai for Daenerys. Uh, so that's my ship. How about you? I'm going to be kinky and say old Dario and new Dario. Because <laughs> this is, we got old Dario in this one. Yeah. Original flavor Dario. Ed's Ed Scrine, right? Yeah. Scrine or Screen. Um, I, I really like original flavor Dario. I have to say. It's a different like, take on the character. It's very different. And I think it's better. Like, or I just like it better as like this it's, kind of shitty guy that Daenerys is just interested in for a while, you know? It's less romance novelly. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like Mich- Michel Huisman, like, he's good on the show and he's obviously very handsome, but like, he's more of this kind of like sensitive, sort of soulful, um, you know, kind of type where I think this version of Dario is just kind of like a brute. Um, and I think that's kind of a more interesting thing. And I think probably given her, you know, her taste in men thus far is maybe more where Danny would go. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Michelle Huisman's take on it is like, he's like a rake. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I think, uh, Ed Scrain's like, he's just slimier. Yeah. And mm-hmm. for some reason, I like that about him. So, uh, yeah. So there we go. So, so this episode, I mean, like, what do you think, Richard, when people, when people say this, credit this episode with changing the TV landscape forever? Like, how accurate do you think that is? What do you think about it? Uh, was so revolutionary. Well, I don't know that I can offer that much insight in terms of what it changed beyond its, beyond the show itself, but like in solidifying this show as the must see thing on Sunday nights or whenever it aired in whatever country you live in, like it, this episode solidified the show as like a global phenomenon, you know, um, as something that was merciless, that was uncompromising, that was going to, you know, completely upend our typical expectations of how lead characters in television shows are treated. Um, 
which they'd already done, arguably, in the first season with um, Ned, Ned's death, that was very surprising at the time. But I think that maybe people thought, okay, that's the big hook. That's the first season surprise to get us all engaged, that they're not going to do that again. And they not only did it again, they did it with two main characters who'd been there since the very beginning, um, which is pretty significant. Um, and yeah, so I think in terms of, the, I mean, the Red Wedding is the most iconic, this is the most iconic episode of the show that there's ever been, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because um, it feels so far away. <laughs> like, it feels so distant. But I, I don't think you have Game of Thrones, the global phenomenon, without this episode, without this stake-raising thing. The, the, the fact that, I, you know, they could not have planned this, but the fact that a bunch of book readers taped their friends watching the episode and that that, like, kind of went viral, I think, brought the TV show in front of a bunch of eyes that it wouldn't have ever been in front of for that reason. Like, like that's sort of when the like memification, I think of game of Thrones started. Um, I don't think you've got as much of that in season one, two and three. Um, but like at the end of season three onward, then it sort of becomes even more part of the like online culture and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. And it's just, you know, it's, it's so well done. It's so like intimate, character based. Um, Richard Madden, Michelle Fairley, Una Chaplin, all of them. And I mean, like you lose, you lose Rob, and you lose Catelyn, but you also just like it's like the whole room gets slaughtered, and all of those felt like good guys, and all the good guys lost, and at the hands of Walder Frey, not even like. Like Tywin Lannister pulling the strings, but like Walder Frey is this guy? Like a supposed ally too. Yeah. But like this, this like creepy old lech is the one that takes down Rob Stark who never lost a battle. And then you also get this, I think you get a closer tie between, um, frailty and like this, this feels like more of a Shakespearean sort of tragic fall than, Ned Stark says, because like you can point out some things that Ned Stark does wrong in season one, but one of the most interesting things about his death in season one is like, not, I mean, like he overplayed his hand a little bit or he was too honorable, I guess you could say, like his honor was too rigid, like some of that stuff. He didn't play smart, you know, there are things you could say about, about Ned, but, but with Rob, it's just like even clear, like he died for love, basically, right? He fell in love or fell in lust and, and then he died for that and it's funny because like if you rewatch season three there's so many times when Catelyn when Michelle Fairley as Catelyn says like this is not the wedding that Walter Frey wanted like he wanted a king he did not want my my dumb brother Edmure thank you very much uh shout out to Tobias Menzies who's great in that role um so yeah it's just it's it's an incredible piece of television and then you get and then you get lastly to, to cap all of that you get this iconic piece of music, which we actually, you know, already got, uh, in Blackwater and, and various other places, but it, you know, this is straight out of the book that the Reigns of Castamere starts playing. That's how, that's the Lannister calling card. That's how you know that the Lannister sort of orchestrated this, but like for it to play over the credits and it's just like, this is it. Like, this is what's happened is, is like anytime there's like a Ramin Javadi music cue that it forever sticks in you. Um, and this is one of those, you know? Yeah. I, I, I've seen this episode a few times and this is one of the few episodes I've like really rewatched of this show. And like, 
it still is so intense. And I watched it, I don't know, yesterday evening before recording, and I was, like, bummed out for the rest of the night. <laughs> like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, no, I mean, it's it, and it's just a funny way, because it's such an affecting episode, and I think that, for me, the way that it contains its dread, where, where Catelyn, she's like, oh, my God, like, we're about to be killed, you know? And, like, she knows that there's something really she can do. She tries. But I think that, like, that's so chilling, you know, versus a sudden kind of thing that like, but like this kind of like dawning, like comprehension of what's happening. Um, it's just like so well done. It's just so beautifully directed. It's so tense. Um, the way that it's edited is perfect. It's just like, it's just striking television. And, um, it's still, you know, all these years later, I think is very affecting personally. Um, all right. What about some of the other stuff that happens in this episode? Um, I always remember that like talking about mem- memification, there's a piece of fan art that always, uh, stuck with me from this episode and it, it was, uh, excuse me as I described some fan art, but it's, uh, Roose Bolton, Walter Frey and Tywin Lannister and they're all like jumping in the air cheering like, yay, we did it! Cause they like orchestrated the red wedding basically. And then you, uh, and then like there's a companion piece that is, uh, Jorah and Grey Worm and Dario going, yay, we did it! Cause they like uh, infiltrated Young Guy. And I just, I don't know why it's always like stuck with me that it's like, oh yeah, this other thing also happens in this episode. Like, like young guy happens or whatever, you know, like you, you think once again, you can only like think of the wedding from start to finish, but there's all this stuff in young guy. As you mentioned, there's all this stuff with, uh, Bran and, and all of that there's, and then there's this huge stuff that happens with, with John and Egret. So. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I like the, um, that, that rainy scene where Bran and company are hiding up in the tower and then the, the um, the wildlings, including with John are down, at, on the ground fighting and um uh an oral played by Mackenzie Crook from the office um he That's like great. hears Hodor hodoring yeah and looks up you know kind of in the rainy distance at this black window in this kind of supposedly abandoned tower and just knowing that at that moment Bran was right there and John was right there and there's just the faint kind of like, it's just, I love when the books and when the, the show does that kind of eerie, just like moments of almost connection of sort of, you know, echoes heard throughout the, the this kind of vast landscape of like, you know, some, someone you might know or something. I just think I like, it's so eerie and, and really effectively done. Um, yeah. And obviously this is where John um, outs himself as a secret agent. Right. Um, he gets scratched up in the face, uh, by Orel's, uh, bird. And then, um, it's astonishing to rewatch this and to watch Tormund, um, be so against John. You know, this is, this is like, Tormund is now like largely comic relief, but it's sort of interesting to remember his origins where he wasn't like, he wasn't the, the funny weird ginger beard. He like, he was, he talked about fucking a bear, but like also, he had much more menace to him, I think, when he was um, in this position. And we find out that Bran can do that, that he can warg into Hodor, which is how Hodor dies. So, like, it's a really, it's a kind of cute, funny scene, like, hush, Hodor, no more. Hodoring is, like, a really fun little line, but this is, this is how Hodor dies, is Bran warging into him. It's- and it also is an interesting introduction of what could be a really sinister aspect of Bran's ability, you know? Right. Like, it's not, it's it's like that kind of, like, 
it, it's not just an animal now. It's like you could you could take over someone's consciousness, kind of like in Dollhouse or something. Absolutely, and and to go back to what you said in terms of like these close call misconnections, which the show does a lot more of, I think, than the book does. Um, we also get Arya, you know, and the Hound arriving at the twins. Mm-hmm. Um, just not in time. Uh, we get Arya, you know, witnessing them killing the dire wolf. We see, uh, we see Arya witness them killing the dire wolf. We see, like, Rob with dire wolf head on his body. It's just like, it's all awful. So, um, yeah, these, these, these tragic misconnections, um, and, you know, many, like, this is something, something we can say for the show. Many seasons later, we're getting the, these, reunions you know that that we had been wanting um the stark family back together so that's that's a fun thing that we can experience uh for as long as any of them are alive at least they're together now (laughs) in season eight so there's that um all right is there anything else you want to say about about this episode no just that walter Frey's a jerk and he shouldn't have done that to my rug (laughs) well he gets his eventually uh yeah Stay tuned for an interview with director David Nutter and also uh, find out which episode we will be talking about next. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. joined today by david nutter who has directed six episodes of game of thrones including season three episode nine the reigns of castamere he's also directed three episodes that's half of the final season of game of thrones david nutter thank you so much for joining us i I wanted to start by asking you about specifically about reigns of castamere the challenges of filming a sequence that is so hard to reset in terms of like blood and gore. What does that do to any sort of pressure on you to get it right? The first take really the most important thing was the order of shooting. And what I did was I shot it pretty much in order. Like for instance, the last thing we shot was Caitlin and her throat slit and, and Rob uh, Stark dying. I think were the uh, most important moments for the people who worked on it, because, you know, there was a big, 
situation on the set where you know everyone loves these people so much. You know, if you're going to have that kind of emotional set piece and everyone's feeling it as you're doing it, I think you're in the right right track to do something very special. But you know, it, it all kind of started for me back in season two when I had directed my first episode for season two for them, and David Mann seemed to like what I did, and they sort of talked me about this. They started to talk to me kind of uh, about this season three uh, Rain to Castamere episode. And, you know, that was you know, the pressure of doing that right was very important. As we're watching the episode with the commentary on where you're with Richard and Michelle and they're both basically openly weeping um, as they record the commentary with you watching this episode, you've had to you filmed the final episode for so many actors over the years on Game of Thrones. Uh, was that the hardest of like a cast and crew goodbye or have there been harder days in terms of emotions running high. It was probably the, the toughest by far. We were doing a, a part of the sequence in which Rob goes over to his wife and she's bleeding to death and she crawls to her and then holds her in his arms and she passes. And it's a situation where as he looks down to her, I wanted to kind of hang, hold the camera there for a beat. So I started to say something about relationships and love and all that kind of stuff. And we, we had talked about this prior that he wanted me to kind of goose him a little bit. Before I called cut, I started to hear weeping up behind him and the, the makeup and hair ladies were all uh, so into it that it was, uh, oh. it was quite moving. It was quite something. Another tough one was Jon Snow's death. That's a, that's a perfect example of me uh, not wanting to know what happens next. Right. The last thing I wanted to do was to, to, to consider that, which was important not to. So. so as far as you were concerned when you were shooting that um, season five finale, you were like, this is it. Jon Snow is dead as far as I know, and I don't want to know anymore. Well, absolutely. I mean, I actually went to a... Uh, Right after we finished the episode and it aired, uh, I was at a, I was at a function, at Democratic fundraiser, and I met President Obama, and he shook my hand with his right hand, put his left hand on my shoulder, and said, uh, "You didn't kill Jon Snow, did you?" And I told him, "Yes, sir. He's dead than dead." Then he said, "You kill all my favorite characters." <laughs> You're like, "No, as far as I knew, he was dead. I promise." Like, I- absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I even, I even did. They, they even asked me to do a. Uh, on his last day of shooting before, yeah, on stage, which is his last day of shooting, before, you know, they they even basically had me do a little uh, say goodbye to the crew kind of thing and, 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 and help, you know, and, and help him kind of do a big, you know, thank you so much for coming, you know, for, you know, being a great crew and support. This is one of the first crew he really worked with and so forth. It was important. That was just crazy. So you filmed Kit Harrington like doing a heartfelt goodbye to the crew of Game of Thrones. Then you did not work on the series for season six and season seven. I had a, a surgery on my back. I'm so sorry to hear that and so glad you're feeling better. When you were recuperating in those seasons off, to, because you because you prefer not to know what's happening in the books or happening in future seasons, does that mean you watch the show just as a fan? That's exactly what it did. Yeah, completely. You know, the Battle of the Bastards. I mean, it was just such amazing shows over that 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 had uh, came during my absence that I was like, oh my God, just to be part of that was so special. And uh, I, I did nothing but do as much physical therapy and taking care of myself and getting better as soon as I could so I could actually come back and, and play if, if I could. How did it feel when um, Dave, Dave and Dan are, are come to you and they say, not only do we want you to direct an episode in the final season, we want you to direct three episodes of the final season? Um. It was uh, it was like when you're in the ocean, you can't swim, and someone throws you a life jacket. It was really, you know, after having been out of uh, commission for a couple of years, 
you know, not completely, but partially with my back and so forth. It was really fantastic to be able to come back and do that and uh, get a chance to work with people that I care so much about. And and it was, the good thing was I have a good relationship with the actors and the crew and so forth. And they were happy to have me back as well. So it was really a real, definitely a homecoming. It was really quite special. I actually, uh, in season six, where I had to, that's when I had to like say I couldn't come back. I scheduled to direct the Loot Train episode. And uh, I couldn't do it, but I, I did. Uh, I did go over Christmas uh, and visited them in, in Spain where they were shooting with my wife, who's from Austria. We went back to Austria for, for Christmas. And I said, "Well, if we're going to see her family in Austria for Christmas, I'm going to see mine too in Spain." So we stopped by for days, and uh, and it was really nice to get on the set. And people had, you know, they so many people was happy to see me and missed me and so forth, and gave me a lot of. Uh, strength to come back, and David Dan saw that I was doing better physically, and uh, they uh, started to talk about coming back, which was really uh, an, inc- an incredible experience. And it really, it really, uh, I was so appreciative to be working and working on such amazing material. And uh, you know, a lot of times directors we don't enjoy what we're doing so much because we're so nervous about doing it right, and we, you know, I, I physically and emotionally beat myself up all the time and hoping that I did well or if I didn't know, you know, what, you know, all the different things you go through and trying to do a good, a good job creatively. But this time I got a chance to really enjoy what I was doing and appreciate it so much. It was, uh, I think, some of the best work I've done. Well, that's, uh, that's honestly really, that's incredible. I'm, I'm kind of overwhelmed by that. I, I want to ask you, for those of us who have followed the show really closely over the years, I think we're able to pick out certain writing and directorial styles. Like I could tell you what I think a Brian Cogman written episode is, or I could tell you what I think a Miguel Sapochnik directed episode is. What do you think a David Nutter episode of Game of Thrones is? I hope that when you watch an episode of mine, you become involved Emotionally as quickly as possible because you want to, you want to, of course, peel the young and back as much as you can whenever you can. The walk of shame was an important sequence that I directed that I really wanted. I think it's always important to put as much gray into black and white as possible because there are no bad guys, no good guys. It's all people who want certain things of themselves and are justified in getting it. So you want to, you want to give them that respect, which is important, I think. To me, it's about finding always those, those different uh, notes and so forth and different shades of, of uh, colors that the audience can get to know the character better and become more affiliated with and also become a little more understanding of who they are. I think this is fair play to ask you about, but please tell me if it's not. The the trailer for Season 8 dropped yesterday. I'm assuming there's some footage you shot in there. You do not have to tell me what. Um, but I'm just wondering, you know, what it was like. And I know some of the, some of the stuff in the first episode has already been out there, a few seconds of footage. But what is it like to have people see, you know, footage from the episodes that you shot for the final season of Game of Thrones and, and all the reactions that happened uh, so far? Oh, it's very, very extremely exciting. And uh, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of stuff was mine that I was very excited about, too. It was a lot of fun. It was really very, very cool. And I know that usually you you direct uh, final episodes of the season, but this you, you're doing the premiere. Um, that means you get a big splashy premiere at Radio City Music Hall. What does that feel like for you to have your first, like your first big episode premiere? Truly nerve wracking, and it also makes me appreciate how wonderful, what a good director Jeremy Podesta is, because I think that he's 
he's been doing a lot of the opening episodes of the, of the season. It puts a lot of pressure on me, but uh, you know, hopefully, I'll uh, it's, it'll be okay. <laughs> Are you excited to go to the premiere? I can't wait, uh, Joanna. It's been a situation where we've had a pretty rough uh, um, last uh, before Christmas. My wife is diagnosed with uh, stage four pancreatic cancer, and uh, oh, so she's had treatment and so forth, and she's feeling better. And uh, we all look forward to go as a family to this, and uh, it'll be really special. Oh, that'll be so great! I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, and I, I, I wanted to close up by asking you without spoiling a single drop of the final season, what are you most hoping people will get from this final season that you worked on? I know that the writers have, have, have done this already and, and everyone else, but uh, I hope that they feel that, you know, because lots of times people watch shows and they get to the final few episodes, they get really disappointed in it where they take it. And I think that uh, everyone on the show, especially Dave and Dan, basically have, have worked extremely hard to give us an ending and give us a finale and give us a final season that uh, is worthy. Well, thank you so much. Um, thank you for your time and thank you for sharing um, so much that you've been going through. I'm really, I'm really sorry to hear it. I've really so loved your work over the years on Game of Thrones. Thank you so much, Joanne. Thank you. All right, that is it for us. We do want to mention once again before we go, uh, in case you have not subscribed already, that you can go to vanityfair.com slash thrones and uh, put in the promo code thrones and you get 50% off Vanity Fair for a whole year. That's print, digital, tote bag, no paywall, vanityfair.com slash thrones, promo code thrones. Uh, get in there so you can read all of our Game of Thrones coverage. And what else will we be sending people, Richard? No. I don't know what we're going to be sending people, but if you don't do it, we're going to kill your family at a wedding. So... So get on it. You gotta do it. Uh, <laughs> in the meantime, until we until we return next time, where can people find you, Richard? Eh, you know, just hodering around. <laughs> on Twitter, at Rylos. Where are you going to be? Well, obviously I will be taking Yunkai from the back. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> But also, you can find me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. Next week, we'll be back. We're into season four. We'll be talking about season four, episode one, Two Swords. So we'll be back, and we will see you then. I'm Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large, we're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie Challengers. It starts in Zendaya at the center of a tennis triangle and a very steamy love triangle. Who are her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with their romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman? And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people in a game meant for two. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>